Today's video was recorded on May 10th, 2022. This is the 16th in our series through the book of Exodus. So in this video, we look at what is a bit of a peculiar story from Exodus 17. And this is where the Israelites are attacked by a people group called the Amalekites. And the text tells us that Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on a hill and Moses held his hands with the staff of God in his hands up in the air. So we go on to learn that when Moses' hands were raised, the Israelites were winning the battle, and when his hands were lowered, they began to lose. So what is going on here? In order to solve this, we need to go backward into the Egyptian context that the Israelites had just left. And we're going to look at their religious practices surrounding standards or flagpoles, and how these flagpoles were used in Egyptian worship. Once we understand the background of Moses raising his hands on the hill, we'll be able to then look forward through the entire Bible to see how God uses this concept to focus our worship up and onto him as the creator God and the giver of all life and power. And so that's what we're going to be doing today in this week's video. Now, Fig Tree Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit. Our ongoing operations rely entirely upon the generous donations of our supporters. If you find our lessons valuable to your understanding of the Bible, we ask that you would consider making a financial donation to support the ministry. Your financial support directly impacts our ability to continue to expand our reach and help others just like you go deeper into the biblical text. And donations are easy through the donate page on our website, figtreeteaching.com, and we've also included a link that'll take you directly to the donation page below in the description section of this video. So the clearer we understand scripture, the deeper we can go into the text, the more solid the foundations of our faith become. So we hope you enjoy today's lesson on the Lord as our banner. So today, May 10th, this is going to be what we're going to call the Lord, my banner. So the Lord, my banner, that's exactly what Moses says. And we're going to connect it to Egypt. And it's pretty cool that God uses something out of Egypt and then the whole, it flows straight through the Bible all the way to Jesus. It's actually really cool when you take a look at it. So the Lord, my banner, and the background picture that we're using today, this is the temple of Karnak in Egypt. And many of the temples in Egypt have the same feature, but what we're going to be looking at on this temple is right here. I'll put a circle on it. It looks like a little niche that's built into that wall. And if you look, right above the niches is another open little square. So inside that niche was a giant pole, the flagpole. And the, the little square that's above it would be a, something to hold, to give it some stability. So every, you'll see more pictures uh, in a minute, but every one of those. Now, they say, and I don't know how they come up with these calculations, but they they say that the, the flagpoles at Karnak were 200 feet tall. Huge. So this is, it's a big deal in Egypt, as we'll find out today. 
So the Lord, my banner, and this is Exodus part 16, as we slow roll through this book. And what I want to do tonight is start off by reading in the text where we find the, the Lord is my banner. So if you have your Bible, it's in Exodus 17, starting at verse 8. And I'm just, I'm not going to read every verse, but we'll be going from 8 to 16, and I'll, I'll leave some out uh, just in the interest of time. So the situation in Exodus 17, they've just left, uh, they just went through the, the Red Sea, and they're immediately attacked by a group of people called the Amalekites. And we could go into a whole big discussion of what, who are the Amalekites, and what does it mean, and God is not happy with the Amalekites, if you read your, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And so there's a lot on who are the Amalekites um, and why are they attacking the Israelites. So it gets, it gets pretty interesting. Um, but they get attacked, and then something's going to happen where they're going to end up winning the battle, but there's, it, it gets a little bit strange here in Exodus. So I'll start out in verse 8. So it says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephdim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites. Okay, that sounds normal. But then he says this, Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And right there, I think, now what is Moses up to? He's going to go to the top of a hill with the staff of God in his hands. All right, Moses, you know what you're doing, so let's keep going. So it says this, so Joshua fought the Amalekites, as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. As long as Moses held, his, held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Now that's when it really starts to get, like, what is going on here? Moses holds up his hands, and the Israelites are somehow winning the battle. And when he lowers his hands, the Amalekites start winning. So this is really the main, what is going on with what Moses is doing? Is it something magic that's happening? happening? And the answer is no, but we have to understand something about what their understanding is um, coming out of Egypt and then what Moses is going to say right here. So if you look down at verse 15, and I'm skipping over a little bit, they end up winning the battle. And then Moses is going to build an altar. So verse 15 says this, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So that's where you see God's really not happy with the Amalekites. But this is what we need to focus on. The Lord is my banner. Why does Moses use that? word, and then what does that mean? So if I just isolate verse 15 here, the Lord is my banner, and the word my banner is the Hebrew word nisi, 
and that is that means my it's adding uh it's adding my banner banner is just ness so the lord is my banner and a c well what's in the c what's a banner or what's a ness so number 1 so that's the text what's happening when moses is raising and lowering his hands why does he go up on a hill to point the staff up in the air and then why does he call it the lord is my banner that's that's what we're going to try to answer so starting at number 1 on your handout we have to know something about the word for banner and the hebrew word ness n e s we would pronounce it so the hebrew word that we translate banner there can be translated by maybe 6 or 7 or 8 different words so it's got a little bit of a a, a wider range but they all have this a uh, similar meaning so for instance it's a ness is a standard an ensign or a banner and now if you think in the ancient days if you were fighting a battle you would fight under the banner of a king or a general and flags ensigns were used often in military to designate certain things so we see here we see a battle and we see the idea of banner something is you're underneath something a standard an ensign a banner we'll see next week when we look at the bronze snake the word ness gets translated pole. And I noticed, just so you know, I am aware that on your sheet, I put down the word standard twice, and I meant to put sign. Because nes, ness can also be a sign. Something is giving you a sign. Okay, so standard, ensign, banner, pole. Now, I put a couple definitions. These definitions, um, I footnoted them. They come from a book that's called the Theological Word Book of the Old Testament. And they take all the words of the Old Testament, and then you can look at all the different definitions, and they give the background of the word and all the different languages from around the Hebrew. And so you can find out a lot of little nuggets about words from that Theological Word Book. But the definitions uh, for Ness, uh, one of the things they say is, so in the ancient world, if you raise a flag up, it can be a rallying point or standard which drew people together, right? So it's something that's raised up that draws everybody into one place. So they draw people together for a common action or to communicate important information. So that would make sense. We're going to have something lifted up so you know where to go. The second one. It says a signal pole, sometimes with an ensign attached. It could be raised as a point of focus. Now, this one's going to be important uh, because the Egyptians did this, a point of focus. And a ness is going to be a point of focus. It's going to be something that everyone's going to focus on. So that's an interesting one. And then the next one's even better, an object of hope. So imagine that there's something raised up that you focus your attention on that is also an object of hope. Can you imagine anything in your Bible that might fit that definition? So that's the, that's the idea of Ness, a rallying point or a signal pole of some sort. That's at least how it's used in the Old Testament. Now, let me show you something. Um, this 
it's the Hebrew ness is associated with the word conspicuous. Something is conspicuously displayed or conspicuously lifted up. You can't miss it, is the point. So they're going to raise something up that you just can't miss. And then what's even cooler about this is the word ness, not in the Old Testament, but in modern Hebrew, is the word for miracle. So a miracle is something that is unconspicuously displayed. And it's lifted up in a sense that gathers everybody's attention. Again, you can probably think of something in the Bible that is lifted up conspicuously so that you can't miss it and is a miracle. And that might be a ness. So, okay, that's the ness. It's some kind of... Now, that's exactly what we're just talking about. That's the Hebrew word for the pole that we're going to look at. So we have to go back a little bit and look at the Egyptian context of this, um, these standards, or the flagpole, as we would call it in our uh, more modern language. So what's the Egyptian context going on here? The Israelites just came out of Egypt, yes? I mean, it, by the time we're here with the Amalekites, it's been 20 days? It hasn't been long, two weeks. They've been, two to three weeks, they've been out of Egypt. So the entire context of how God's going to communicate, we got to look to Egypt because God's going to use the things that they know to then communicate. So we're looking at this little area right here. That's where the little flag, the flag goes, that little niche. And the flagpole would go way up in the air. And then there would be, now it might be streamers. It might be a flag, a flag of the God whatever god you're under, a flag of the pharaoh. So the flag represents something. Uh, it may be a bronze piece. It could be an idol. There's, um, they do all kinds of things with these, with these standards. But you would slide them in, each one of those, and you can imagine how dramatic from miles away, 200 feet in the air, you're able to see this. I mean, it had to be unbelievable to be able to see that. Now, the background for the Egyptians, they were nomads at one point in the distant past. So you're, you're nomadically moving around the desert area. And what they would do is have somebody with a large pole standard up in the air with a flag on it, usually uh, a flag of their god. So if you're a person wandering behind, where do you put your focus? It's almost like the pillar of uh, smoke or the pillar of fire for God, leading them in the desert. You need somebody to lead you. The God is lifted up, and so your focus is on that God. My God leads me in the desert would be something that they would think. That's how you lead the people around. So you're underneath that banner. Then it comes into these temples. And same thing. We're now going to keep our eye on that banner as who our God is or where we're going to direct our praise. So that's like the, that's the background of it. Let me show you a couple other places where they find them. This is called the temple at Edfu. And you can see, again, you have the niches built into the wall. Then above the niches, you have a couple different uh, cutouts where they would reinforce that very tall pole. Here's another look at Karnak. And of course, you would have some kind of 
very tall pole with a something at the top, a flag, a banner, whatever it is. And that would be... Now, here's the... Cra it gets kind of crazy. I'm going to give you a couple, a couple resources in a minute. If anybody wants to go study this further, you can read about the, I, the Egyptian use of standards. They were commonplace within Egyptian worship. So they become objects of worship. One of the ideas is they're a repository for the power of whatever God they're showing you. So let me put up here, what do these things do? What do what's the point of having this flag? Well, first of all, it points you to the God or to the Pharaoh, because the Pharaoh is considered one of the gods. So the standard points up to the God. It represents the God in a way, in, in, in their mind, and it became imbued with the power of the God. There are Egyptian depictions of the standards themselves fighting the battle, as if that flagpole becomes personified in a way as fighting a battle on behalf of Egypt. So there's tremendous um, symbolism. The symbolism is very deep, and the meaning goes very deep to the point where the object itself is worshipped. And you might think, you well, know, first of all, you might think, well, that sounds crazy. But then, if you think about, um, think about the psychological power of even a country's flag, the American flag, the Japanese flag, the Brazilian flag, go to any national, you know, soccer game in the world and watch what happens with the, the team's flag or the country's flag. I mean, the, the American flag to so many people is so much more than a piece of cloth with colors on it. It stands for a huge symbolism behind it to the point where it is in some way venerated or even worshipped where people would fight and die for that piece of cloth, the flag. So there's a deep uh, psychological thing that happens when you get into the idea of a flag or something where you might think, well, that's crazy, but well, maybe not. Human beings are kind of drawn to that. But they ended up worshiping the standard. Now, God, of course, he's going to take this and say, no, 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 I don't want you to worship the standard. I don't want you to worship the flag. I want you to worship me, the God who's behind that, right? It's going to point to me. But we'll see next week. The Israelites are going to turn one of these things that we call Nez, the Bible calls Nez, and they're going to turn it into an idol for worship. And that's the bronze snake. They put the bronze snake on the pole, which is the Nez. And then we find out later in the book of Kings that they're still worshiping it. They found the snake. It's still in the temple. So God doesn't want you to do that. He wants it to point to God, but not to go on to worship it. So there's, there's a significant meaning behind these as you're coming out of Egypt. Now, here's the two references. I've mentioned this one before. It's, uh, it's called Ancient Egypt and the Old Testament by John Curid, and he has a whole section about the bronze snake and the worship of the standard, the use of standards in religious ceremonies or in the religions of, of Egypt. And then another one is Kingship and the Gods, a Study of Ancient Near East Religion, uh, Henry Frankfurt. 
and he's got a section on standards. So that's just two places that you could go look. But the important piece to remember is this. Moses and God, through Moses, they're going to take something that the Israelites know out of Egypt. They're 20 days, 20 however many days out of Egypt. They know exactly how standards are used. They know what it points to. They're going to use this idea, and then they're going to now redefine it so that God can use it. And Moses is going to say, the Lord is my banner. Not the Egyptian God, not Pharaoh, the Lord. But this idea comes right out of that Egyptian context because God has to communicate using cultural pieces that the people understand. And of course, the same idea is going to flow all the way through the Bible because it's a very powerful idea that something is lifted up for all of our attention to be directed and to bring us into uh, a posture of worship, right? That's one of the cool things about it. Um, before we get to solving the problem, I want to just talk about what the dynamics of the standard are. So this number three on your handout. What do I mean by dynamics? The ancient people notice, they're very uh, attentive to how things make them feel, what's going on internally in our, in our psychology. You know, we tend to, there's, a, there's an idea of, we call it the arrogance of history. Anybody in, in a future time looks down on the people behind them as if man, those people are just, they don't know what they're talking about, they're crazy. The more you recognize the wisdom in what they're doing, the more you see, oh yeah, we're, we do the same things, we, we just have different words they use or different symbols, but the dynamics of having this standard or ensign or banner or whatever are pretty powerful. And the way I want to talk about them, just briefly, to introduce this to, uh, to the way we can think about how the Bible communicates to us, there's going to be two ways. One is the phenomenological. What's the phenomenon of being? How do we experience the world around us? And then psychological. That is, how do we respond to something like the American flag or the national anthem? Like there's an internal response to a symbol like that. So it's, um, so we'll, do, we'll look a little bit at the psychological. Okay, so the first one, the phenomenon. What's the phenomenon that we experience as human beings with God, right? And we've done this a number of times, but it goes something like this, right? We stand on the world, here we are as human beings, and we experience the world as kind of a big dome around us. You know, the mountains look, appear as if they're holding the clouds up. And then we'd say, okay, where's God, right? Well, God is up there somewhere, right? So everybody, no matter where you are on the earth, points up, because to a human being, God is this direction. And when we ascend in life, we ascend towards things like when the world is going well, it's order, it's peace, it's holiness, it's harmony, it's balance. All of those are up. How are you feeling today? I'm up. When you want to mature in life, you grow up. It means you're growing in a certain direction, and all of these things are upward. That's just how we experience life. The Opposite of that, of course, is a descending, right? Nobody ascends into chaos, you descend into chaos. 
and we feel depressed by the worries of the world, and there's a weight that's put on top of us and all of that stuff. And so the chaos or disorder or profaneness of the world is always down, right? I'm feeling down, and I need to feel up. That's just how we experience the world, and so much of our language uh, confirms that, but we just don't think about it every day. So if God is up, then where do we need to think about our objects of worship, right? They need to be in, in a posture where we're looking at God. All right, so that's the phenomenon. Psychologically, though, and the reason, you know, I, I'm not trying to turn this into a psychology lesson, but psychologically, uh, or the word, the word in the New Testament for soul is psyche. So we are mind, body, spirit, right? We have bodies, we embody in, we're embodied in the world, we feel the world through our body. We have a mind. We can bring in information, sort information. Sometimes our minds don't work right. We have a spirit. We're influenced by, by the spirit. So the spirit is very strong to influence our mind and our body. And they're all deeply connected within us. And we would today, in our modern language, call that the psyche. But psyche is an old Greek word for soul. And this is how, why we do rituals. We embody things. That makes the ritual more powerful. We can focus our mind in certain directions, right? Uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as Paul would say. So what does the nez, if we're talking about the nez, what does the nez do for us psychologically? Well, most of the time in the world, we're looking, we're kind of going through life looking at one level. We deal with all of the problems of the world because those are the things that are right in front of us. And then you go into some place that might be a religious area. For instance, in Egypt, the Nez, you build the Nez so that it's up. Because where's God to a human being? Up. Where's, where's order and all the goodness? It's up. And so what we want to be able to do is orient ourselves. This is how you integrate mind, body, spirit to go then be focusing in an upward direction. Take on the posture of a worship to be looking up into the heavens. So that's what the standard does. And they get this. It causes your body to change. You know, when you see something big and grandeur, you, your body goes into a sense of awe and you, you kind of reel backwards a little bit. Well, that's, that's a very powerful feeling for, in a religious experience. So our physical can affect our emotional and spiritual. So if they, you, you use this, the physical to your advantage. So, okay, the nez causes us to direct our mind, body, spirit, our posture up towards God. And one of the great examples is go to church on Sunday. When you walk in the building into the main sanctuary, where does your vision go? Where does your gaze most churches have a, you know, very tall roof, and somewhere up in the front is a cross, right? And your gaze ascends, so it's naturally putting you into a posture of worship. In fact, the great cathedrals of Egypt, if you, or in Egypt, the great cathedrals in Europe, you walk in those great cathedrals and you see something like this, in which direction do your eyes go? Naturally, they go up. That's by design. They know what they're doing. 
you walk in and y'all suddenly the awe of this building and your eyes gaze up and perhaps there's a cross up there or whatever it is that's going to draw you into the worship to be closer to God. That's what the the cathedral's there for. So we still have this. We we don't really think about it, but it's still part of our our, our worship. And we'll get into more of what Jesus says next week, but the point is, this is all over the place, even in our worship today, but we just don't really think about it. So, for instance, I put this on your sheets on the back, but I want you to think about what Paul says. Paul is talking to the uh, Colossians, and I'm going to go through it pretty quickly, just in the interest of time. You can read it on your handout, but Paul says to the Colossians exactly this. He wants them to focus their, their attention or spiritual gaze or whatever you want to call it upwards. So he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set, now this is the NIV, set your hearts on things above, uh, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So notice his language. There's something above. Now, I want to point out, this is the NIV. So the NIV took a perfectly good word that means to seek. So many of your Bibles say, seek the things above. The word means to seek, to inquire, to find. So the NIV took a perfectly good word, seek, and they used an idiomatic phrase, to set your heart on. So the word heart isn't actually in there. It means to seek. Seek the things above. Well, how do you seek your things above? Well, if we use a, a religious term, set your heart on the things above. Orient yourself towards God. Which direction is God? It's up. So seek the things above. Then Paul says, set your minds on things above. Right? Set your minds, the word means uh, to concentrate. Concentrate on the things above, not on the earthly things. Hey, you people in Colossa, stop focusing on all the nonsense that's going on with all the Greek religions around you, right? Set your minds on things above, not on the earthly things. And what Paul's saying is you have to orient yourself in the world to do this, to look up. And just as the Egyptians figured out that that's the posture of worship, well, it is in the, in the biblical world as well. So that's what we need to do. That's the dynamics of why it's so powerful, not only symbolism of, say, a nez, like, or a flag, that, that symbolism is powerful, but also that it, it engages our body, mind, spirit in a way that brings us into uh, the posture of worship. So, what's going on then? Well, when we go back to the Exodus text, Moses is acting as a nez. Now, it's the Hebrew word nes, but he's doing the same thing that the Egyptians did. He's going to climb a hill. And when he gets on top of the hill, he's going to point his staff in the air. And who's he pointing at? God. Sometimes you think, well, there's something magic about the staff in the air, they win, the staff lowers, they lose. No, no, no. You point at God. And when Moses points up and the Israels look and see the nez, because the definition of a nez is to point you to God, or the definition of a standard right out of Egypt is to point you towards God. So the Israelites are battling with the Amalekites. They look up, they see Moses. Moses is pointing towards God. 
they turn their attention towards the God who's going to give you the power in life, and they start winning. Their, their posture changes. They start winning the battle. When they take their eyes off uh, of Moses, and they're trying to engage the battle only in their earthly power, if they're looking down at earthly things, they lower their gaze, they attempt to fight on their own, they lose the battle. So God's bringing this concept out of Egypt that the Israelites understand. He's communicating something about him. Hey, you see these standards all over Israel or all over Egypt. Now I'm going to explain to you who I am. I'm the God who's behind the who's behind this. So when the symbol goes up, I'm your power. And this is a great lesson for any spiritual journey, if you happen to be going through anything difficult, like we talked about last week, you're going into the chaos of the desert. Maybe you're in life and you're going through something difficult. You need a nez. You need a banner or a standard that's set in front of you that you can focus your eyes on, that help you orientate yourself up. And as you're walking through the desert, just like the Egyptians, you make God your banner. That's what Moses is saying. The Lord is my banner. And so all of us on a spiritual journey are going to fight battles. And if you're trying to fight them in your own en- with your own earthly energy, only focusing on earthly power, you're going to lose. God says, no, no, no. Even in the battle, focus on me. So that's what seems to be happening here. Because it, it's we don't understand the background that they just came out of. And then we try to figure out what does it mean that Moses is, is uh, his, what's going on with his hands. But it's great because as you'll see, as we go next week forward, God is still providing us a, a banner. And the Lord is still our banner. He's the one that we need to be, keep focused on. So, okay. Let me show you one rabbinic interpretation, and then we'll end, because this comes, well, let's see. It comes from the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a writing that was collected, uh, gathered around the end of the second century, so about 200 AD, but it extends backwards. Many of the rabbis that they quote, where the ideas come from, even predate Jesus, and we know that. So it wasn't gathered till after uh, the Christian era, but we know it goes, it goes backwards before Jesus. So this is a rabbinic interpretation. It comes from the Mishnah Rosh Hashanah 3.8, if anybody wanted to go look this one up. And I didn't put it here on the screen, but it's on your handout. And I'll just read it, but you can see this is the rabbis. They're, they're looking at this story, and they're trying to decipher what's happening with Moses and his hands. So it says, And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hands, that the Israelites prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So you may ask, did the hands of Moses make war when he raised them, or break war when he lowered them? Rather, the verse comes to tell you that as long as the Jewish people turned their eyes upward and subjected their hearts to their Father in heaven, they prevailed. But if they did not, they failed. So this is exactly what we're, what Paul's talking about, what I was talking about with the phenomenological aspect. How do you turn your eyes upward? Well, that's a, it's an abstraction of me taking on a spiritual posture. 
You subject your heart to God, and what happens? You start winning the battle. And I think that's one of the great lessons that comes out of this story, because we're all going to go through battles and difficulties, and we need to find ways to remind ourselves to look up when we're in a battle, because God is the power that we need in that chaos. So that's just an interpretation that comes out of, if not the time of Jesus, very close to the time of Jesus. And that's exactly what I mean by when we turn our posture upward. So, okay, hopefully, now, well, hold on, let's, okay, let's do a review. So, what did we start with? Well, the Ness, it's a conspicuous standard, a flag, an ensign, a pole. There's something on the pole that brings your attention, that gathers you together. It perhaps could be an uh, object of hope. You can't miss it. It's something that gets your attention. The context is right out of Egypt, and their idea of we're actually worshiping the standard itself as the embodiment of the power of the God it represents. But the standard orients our gaze upward, right? It points us towards the God whose power that we're going to rely on, and that's where we get our power from God. Um, so you can see, God takes something the Egyptians use, and now he's going to repackage it and reuse it for himself. So next week, as we move forward, what we're going to do, or not next week, because we have next week off, but the week after that, we'll do a quick review of Egypt and Moses, because that's where we are. The next time you see this, the Nez show up, it's the bronze snake. They're getting bit by snakes, put a snake on the pole. As they look up, they're healed. And you get the same interpretation from the rabbis. It's not the snake. It doesn't have special power. It's the God behind the, the, the Nez. It's pointing to God. And as I mentioned earlier, they keep the bronze snake and they keep worshiping it as if it has power. And God says, don't do that. Then we find out, and we'll do this next week, in Isaiah, he says, the Messiah is going to be a Nez. The Messiah is a banner for the whole world. He's going to be lifted up, and the whole world's going to gather to this Messiah. And then the word there is Nez. That's in Isaiah. And then, of course, we finish next week with Jesus. Jesus, Nessi. Jesus is my Nez. Right? The cross is lifted up, and we gaze upward. And when we're in the battles of, the, of uh, life, where should we place our gaze? At Jesus. Set your eyes on Jesus. It's just a powerful how God uses this uh, idea, comes naturally to a human being, but then, you know, Jesus says, no, 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 that's me, and I'm going to be that for the whole world. So, okay, the Lord is my banner. I should have actually typed it Nisi, N-I-S-S-I. That's how you say my banner, but Nez is banner. So, okay, that's week one, and we'll do it again in a couple weeks. Hopefully, though, that gives you a little bit of a different way to read that story in Exodus that you may have read your whole life and never knew what to do with. It's all about us understanding the context in that, that Hebrew word, Nez. Thanks for joining us under the fig tree for today's lesson. If you like this video, be sure to hit the like button below and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell to be notified every time I upload a new lesson. 
You can also check out more teachings here at our YouTube channel or at figtreeteaching.com and enjoy learning about the sweetness of God's words.